can turn with me to Zechariah chapter 4. That's right, we're in Zechariah. We finished our study in 1 Peter last week, and we're going to do a one-off sermon today, standalone sermon, and then next week we are beginning something really fun. We're going to start with the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, who knows how long the Lord has in store for us there, but we're going to be in Matthew for quite some time. But I'm really excited to spend time with Jesus, learning about his life and ministry. But today, we are looking at Zechariah. Uh, so if you, have a, if you want to pull out uh, the Red Bible, Zechariah chapter 4 is on page 463. Zechariah is the second to last book in the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, just go back two books and you'll find Zechariah. Well, as I mentioned at the uh, outset of our service, we are recognizing and celebrating the fact that Story Church now has been meeting for public worship for two years, and uh, it's been a wonderful two years. Um, it's been there's been encouragement and delight and joy. Um, there's been hardships. You know, two years ago in September of 2020, in the middle of a pandemic when schools were closed and kids were at home on their computers taking classes, when businesses were still weighing the options, hey, do we bring our employees back, do we not? Uh, you know, everyone was having conversations about do we mask up, do we not? Do we stand apart from one another? Do we even gather together? City events were being canceled for the whole year, and we decided in the middle of that, <laughs> hey, let's start a church. And uh, it, was, it was not easy going, uh, but many of you have been with us since that early time, and um, we've joined new people to our midst since then, and you know, we've, we've said goodbye to friends who have moved on to other things. It's been, it's been a lot. Um, but here's why we started a church. We believed that in the midst of the chaos of 2020, and in the reality of the darkness that exists in the world with all of its sin and pain and suffering that we believed, and would it be awesome if the Lord could use us to shine the light of God's glory in the midst of that darkness? And that's why we started this church, because we believe that the church is God's means in bringing the light of the glory of God in Christ into the midst of the world. We, we wanted to be a church that had the light shine upon our own hearts, but then that we would reflect that light into the lives of our neighbors. We wanted our neighbors, uh, our coworkers, to come and step into the light of Jesus. We want that for our children. This is why we planted Story Church, to be a beacon of light. I'd like to think that this morning we're here for that reason too, that we're here because we need the light of Jesus in our own lives and that we all together have this desire to share that light with others. That is the drumbeat of our church. Um, church planting is exciting, but it's also difficult. 
Um, it's relationally difficult. It's been emotionally challenging. It's been financially difficult, spiritually difficult. People come and go. It would be easy to give up. It would be easy to find something more comfortable to do on Sunday mornings. It would be easy to find another mission that wasn't as taxing on our lives than church planting. And yet we believe, despite those difficulties, this is worth it. This morning, as we reflect on two years and we look forward to figure out and, and pray about and dream about what the Lord wants to do in front of us, we're going to look at this passage, Zechariah 4, because I believe this passage has a word of encouragement to us in the midst of a difficult project. In the midst of a difficult mission, I believe this passage in particular has a word to encourage us. Just some background on Zechariah 4. After Israel went into exile in Babylon, they were welcomed back home after many years. And these people were given permission by the king of Persia to come back. There's a guy named Zerubbabel, who's the governor of these people. He's leading them back to Jerusalem. And, and they set out on the project of rebuilding their city. I mean, their city walls have been torn down. Their houses have been destroyed. And most important of all, the temple of the Lord is in ruins. And so they set out to rebuild their city, and rebuild the temple. And that was not an easy task. They faced great difficulties and challenges. They were very discouraged, and they almost threw in the towel. But it's in the midst of that difficulty that the Lord gives this word of encouragement through the prophet Zechariah to the people of God to press on. And this is the word that he gives to them, and it's the word that he gives to us today. The Lord will build his house. And because the Lord will build his house, we can press on. So we're going to read this passage, and we're going to look at this promise that the Lord is building his house, his church, his place where people will come and worship him. If you want to follow along, I've got my three points in the bulletin. The Lord is building his house, one, by the power of the Spirit. Two, he's building his house, the church, even through the small things. And three, he is building his church to be a fountain of grace. Or to put simply, what is the power, what is the process, and what is the purpose? Let's read Zechariah chapter 4. And then we'll look at it together. This is a vision. And so there's lots of strange things that Zechariah sees. And we're not going to have time to look at everything. Uh, but sort of just sit back and take the whole vision in. And then we'll break apart a couple of the pieces. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it. 
and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and one on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. And he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, you speak to us, and often the words that you give us, uh, they're weighty, and they're encouraging. And Sometimes we don't understand it, and like Zechariah, we have to ask you, Lord, what does this mean? We pray, Spirit, would you illumine our eyes to the truth of this passage? Would you open up our minds to comprehend your grace in the midst of it? And above all, would you point us and direct our hearts to Jesus, in whom we pray, amen. So like I said, it is a vision, and we're not going to unpack each of the different points. You know, the women in the Bible study studying Revelation know that often the Lord uses symbols and images to communicate a truth, and not, not every part of the symbol has something to look at, but the general picture that Zechariah is getting is of a lampstand. Think a menorah that would stand in the temple and shed light uh, onto the altar. And this is a vision of the temple and a word of encouragement through Zechariah to Zerubbabel that what the Lord is doing is good and it will come to fruition. So let's look at these three points. Uh, the power, the process, and the purpose. The power. The Lord is building his church by the power of the Spirit. We see this in verse 6 where we read, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zerubbabel, I said, he's the governor. He's overseeing this rebuilding project. He's the one who's been commissioned from the king of Persia 
to lead the people. He's the one that's gathered the resources together. He's gathered the people together, the tools together. They have everything that they need to finish the project in front of them. They have people, money, resources. They have a plan. They, they almost have limitless resources because the king of Persia has deep pockets. They're going to finish it. They have everything they need. And yet, in the midst of having everything ready to go, this word comes to him and says, Zerubbabel, remember, it will not be by your might. It won't be by your power or your strength or your resources. But it will be by my spirit. That is how this project will come about. In other words, the message is this. When you go to build the temple, do not trust in your own strength what comes through your own hands. Rather, trust in the Lord and in his strength that he will provide through his spirit. This is really the message of the Bible. Do not trust in yourself. Trust in the Lord. We see this in Psalm 33, a psalm about the sovereignty of God. And in the middle of this psalm, uh, we read that the Lord is looking down from heaven upon the children of men. He sees the king sitting on the throne, and he says, the king is not saved by his great army. The warrior is not delivered by his great strength. He says, the war horse is a false hope of salvation. It cannot rescue. In other words, do not trust in your strength or your power or your resources. Instead, the psalmist continues, he says, wait on the Lord. He is our help and our shield. The Lord is our strength and our salvation. We are to trust in him. This is the message to Zerubbabel and, and to us today. We cannot rely on our strength to accomplish this task. We must rely upon the Lord. We must rely upon a power that comes from outside of ourselves to do what we cannot do ourselves. Have you ever tried uh, to do something or to finish a task, to accomplish something that was outside of your realm of expertise. Uh, there was a season in my life where I was convinced I could cut my own hair. Really what that amounted to was finding the number three blade guard and then just buzzing my whole head to level three. And that passed for a haircut in my books. Uh, but now that I'm older and... Now that I'm like in front of people on a regular basis, uh, I care a little bit more about my hair. And not, not a lot, uh, but a little bit more than I did before. And uh, I realize I cannot, I cannot do this myself. I have to rely on someone outside of myself. Earlier this week, I got my hair cut from a new stylist who just moved to Mayfield. And uh, he comes from the D.C. area. He's, he's a self-professed celebrity hairstylist. Uh, apparently, I, I didn't confirm this, but apparently when he was in D.C., he cut Ivanka Trump's hair. Yeah, me and Ivanka Trump. Um, no, but really, I, I went in, and it was, it was great. 
Uh, he did a really good job, and I was super thankful. But uh, have you ever tried to do something like, man, you, there are things in life that we have to depend on an expert outside of ourselves to do. We can't do them ourselves. Uh, yesterday, I came home from an errand, and uh, I walked in our garage door to the basement, and our basement was flooded. Our water pipe had backed up and got clogged somehow, and water was pooling in our basement. And uh, I don't know plumbing. And I started freaking out. I didn't know what to do. I, I still don't know what to do. I called a plumber, and they're coming tomorrow to look at it. Thankfully, the water kind of subsided a little bit, and then I don't know if it went down the drain or dried. I don't know. Uh, but the problem's not fixed, and I don't have the skills to do it myself. And I have to rely on someone who does. And that's scary. Like, it was really stressful to see that and to admit I am powerless here. How do you respond when you are faced with the reality that you don't have the power to do what's in front of you? I get stressed and I pace and my palms sweat. I get paralyzed with insecurity. What about you? You know, I, I feel the shame of thinking, I am supposed to know how to lead this family. I'm supposed to be able to care for this house. I'm supposed to know these things. Why can't I fix this? Why am I not more capable? I freak out. It's scary. What about you? The message to Zerubbabel and the message to us is you can't do this yourself. You can't build the temple yourself. You can't plant a church yourself. You can't be a beacon of light in Mayfield and in Cleveland yourself. Trust in the Lord. I think it's hard to admit that we can't do it ourselves. I remember in, uh, in the life of Jesus, he's called the great physician. And in that context, Jesus says, those who are well, <clears throat> those who are healthy, they have no need of a physician. But those who are sick do. He says, I have come not to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. And he isn't saying, he isn't saying that righteous people, people who have done good things with their lives, people who have their lives together, he's not saying that those people don't need him. He's actually saying that it's only the sick people, the people who know that they're not well, that they need help. It is those people that freely admit that they need help that actually come to Jesus. Those people who recognize that they are unable to do what is asked of them under their own strength and ability, they are the ones that Jesus has come for. 
If you think that your life is well off and dandy, if you think that in your own ability to please the Lord from your own strength and righteousness that you're good, you'll never come to Jesus. The righteous are blinded by their self-righteousness. They are blinded by their lives of self-assurance. They do not see their need. But Jesus has come for anyone who knows that they need him. I love the psalm, the song, the hymn that we sing, Come Ye Sinners. There's a line in there that it speaks this truth. It says, all the fitness that he requires is that we would feel our need of him. And this he gives us. This he gives us because it is the Spirit's rising beam. The gospel is a reminder of this truth. We do not come to God on the strength of our might and our power. We do not have that ability. We cannot climb up the mountain into the presence of God. We cannot clean ourselves up enough to be made worthy of his love. We cannot love our neighbors well enough to merit for ourselves God's favor. There are no works that we can do that will put us in a right relationship with God. It is not by our power or our strength that we are saved. We cannot rely on our own power. We must rely upon the power of someone else from outside of ourselves, the power of Jesus. He's the one that did live the way that you and I are called to but can't. He is the one that did obey the Father in the way that you and I are called to but can't. He was the one that loved his neighbor perfectly the way that we are called to but can't. He lived a righteous life that you and I do not. And above that, he offers that life to us. He offers that strength to us. That power, that might can be ours by the Spirit. When we turn from ourselves and trusting in our righteousness, when we turn from our strength and admit we are sinners, we are incapable of doing this. We cannot do it. When we admit that and trust in the Lord and his strength and his might and in his righteousness, then that becomes our own. It is credited to our account. It is as if we had done it ourselves. And so we do not muster up the courage and strength to come to the Lord. Jesus has done that for us. And by faith, in the power of the Spirit, it becomes ours. Do not trust in yourself. Trust in the Lord. That is the message of the Bible. And it's the message for Zerubbabel. That's the message for us. If it is true that we cannot come to God on our own, but that we must trust in the power of someone else, 
If it is true that Jesus has not only made a way for us to come to God, but has secured that for us by his own life, death, and resurrection, and if it is true that that power is given to us through his spirit that ever lives within us, then, then we can have confidence to press on in the mission of this church, no matter what obstacle may come our way. Why? Because we do not overcome those obstacles on our own strength, but by the power that is ours through Christ. Verse 7 says just that. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain. What's he saying? He's saying any difficulty that will come our way, any challenge or, 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 or whatever that we face, any obstacle that stands before us, any great mountain that we do not know how to climb over, that mountain will become like a plain, like level ground. In other words, we can press on in the mission of this church despite whatever obstacle comes because overcoming those challenges... In overcoming those challenges, the glory and strength of the Lord will be put on display. His power, his strength, his might, not our own. I think we need to be praying that for this church. We need to be praying, Lord, lead us into paths that might get difficult. Lead us in the way you want us to go, even if it's challenging. Lord, put me in a place, even if it makes me uncomfortable. Why? So that your glory may be put on display in your church by overcoming those obstacles. We want you to receive the glory we should pray, let your glory shine through us. We need to pray like Paul prays in Ephesians 3, that we as the church might know the power that is at work within us, that power that is able to do far more abundantly anything that we could ask for or even imagine, that power alone that brings God glory in his church through Christ Jesus, forever and ever. Let that be our prayer, Story Church, that we would trust in him and in his power and not ourselves. The Lord is building his church by the power of his spirit. Let us trust in that. All right, I went long on point one. That's okay, because point two and three are kind of just applications. All right, what's the process? The Lord is going to build his church. How is he going to do that? He's going to do it even through small things. He says in verse 10, whoever has despised the day of small things, uh, they shall rejoice. Lord saying at, at the end of the day, when, all, when it's all said and done, when the building is finished, when the work is complete, when his church is built, those who despise the day of small things, those who grew irritated about how slow 
the movement was. Those who were discouraged that things weren't happening faster or bigger, they will rejoice. Even though they despised it before, they will rejoice despite their frustrations. Why? Because the Lord is building his church even through the small things. The Lord is present and active, and he's working in the slow, the little, the mundane activities, the small steps. This is the process that God is using to build his church, one small step at a time. I've never run a marathon. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, I've never even run a 5K. Maybe one day I, I will. Uh, my older brother, on the other hand, he's a professional runner. He's a coach also. He has run many marathons. He's placed first in his age category in the Columbus Marathon. I mean, he's, he's wonderful. And um, I, I haven't done it, but I think that I could. Uh, because as Barney Stinson on How I Met Your Mother told us, a marathon is really, it's, it's easy. Step one, you start running. Step two, you just keep running. That's it. It's one step after another, and eventually you finish. You just got to keep going, one step after another. Eventually you run a marathon, one step after another. The small, seemingly insignificant steps build on one another. This is the process that God uses to build his church. Remember, Jesus used the parable of the mustard seed. He said the kingdom of God is like this little mustard seed. It's insignificant. It's not counted as anything in the world. And yet, this seed will slowly but eventually grow into a giant tree. That's how my kingdom is built. Slow, steady steps, one after another. This is what Israel needed to hear when they were building the temple. You know, on the days in which they didn't see much movement, they needed to hear God is at work even in the small things. Imagine the seasons of building the temple where they've laid out the plans, they've gathered the people, they've got the big giant stones here, but it needs to go here, and they've laid out the plans and the mechanics, and they're all ready to go, and everyone works together hard, and, and finally they get it to move, and yet the stone moves one inch, and they're exhausted. Even on those days when the stone moves an inch, God is working. He's building his house. There are times where it might feel like we're just moving an inch at Story Church. There are times where we plan events and get everything ready and prepare for weeks, and we get all the supplies set up, and we're ready to go, and then we move an inch. There are times that you might go to Story Group, and the kids are ornery, and it's really hard to have conversations. Or you've had a long day at work and you really don't want to go and you go and you're just cloudy in your mind and you, you get in the car on the way home. It's like, what was that even worth? Like, really felt like we were just moving an inch. Maybe you've got relationships with neighbors or coworkers, people that maybe you've been praying for. You've asked other people to be praying for them. 
You're trying to talk to them, slowly dropping hints about your faith, slowly trying to build up the courage to invite them to church, slowly bringing up serious topics of life and faith, slowly, slowly, slowly trying to love them with the gospel of Jesus. And it seems like it's just taken months or even years to get where you're at, and it feels like you've only moved an inch. Or maybe you've been coming to church, story church, this mother church, your, your whole lives, you've listened to sermons, you've sung the songs, you've prayed the prayers, you want to grow, you want to mature, you want to produce fruit, but no matter how much you try and try and attend and attend and sit and sit and listen and listen, it only ever feels like you're ever moving an inch. Let us not despise the day of small things. Because the way that the Lord builds his church is one inch at a time. One small step at a time. In the small, often mundane conversations, actions, and prayers, the Lord is moving the stone. Stone after stone, inch after inch, step after step, the Lord is is building his church. So let us take heart in that. We can press on in the mission of this church knowing that one day we will cross the finish line. One day the house will be complete. One day the Lord will produce in something magnificent, one step at a time. Finally, the purpose uh, the very end of this vision, Zechariah sees the lampstand and the bowl and the flame, and then he sees two olive trees, one on the left and one on the right. And then he sees that connecting from the olive tree to the bowl were these pipes. Now, in the pipes flowed olive oil. And the olive oil came into the bowl, and that's what lit the light. There's too much there to unpack what all that means. But this is the summary. This is a symbol of the truth that the Lord will provide an infinite supply of grace and mercy. That, that priests don't have to go into the lampstand and fill up the bowl every morning and every night. No, there is an infinite supply of this oil. And this oil that burns the light, the light of God's glory that filled the temple. There is an infinite supply in the house of the Lord of grace and mercy. Friends, this is the purpose of the church. We are building Story Church to be an infinite fountain of the grace and mercy of God. That is why we exist that we can go week in and week out to drink deep from the well of the living water, that we can come to the lamp stand and the bowl of grace and mercy and find everything that we need. It is an infinite supply. It never runs dry. And so whether you are new here or you've been coming for a year or were with us before we even existed, we exist to be a place, a source of infinite grace and mercy. Where does that come from? The olive trees, Zechariah asks, who are they? 
And the angel says, don't you know? And like Zechariah, we say, no, tell us who is the source of this infinite grace and mercy. And the angel says, they're the anointed ones. And commentators disagree. Do the two trees stand for Zerubbabel, who's not only the governor, but he is a descendant of David. He is the prince. Does one of them stand for uh, Joshua, the newly instated high priest who's working in the temple? Do they stand for Haggai, who's one of the prophets, and Zechariah himself, the other prophet? Who do they stand for? I don't think it matters. Because what we read is they stand for the anointed ones, the appointed means by which God gives us mercy and grace. The prophets, the priest, the king, it doesn't matter because when we come to the New Testament, the prophet, priest, and king is Jesus Christ. And he is the ultimate and infinite source of unending grace and mercy. That is why we exist. That is the purpose of Story Church, to bring people, to bring ourselves to this infinite supply of grace and mercy, where we are forgiven, where we are washed clean, where we have a new life and identity, where we have a new purpose, a new family to belong to. This is what our hearts long for. That is why we hear That is why we exist, and that's why we're going to keep pressing on. The Lord is building his church. He's doing it in the power of his spirit and not ourselves. The Lord is building his church, yes, even one step at a time, slowly but surely. The Lord is building his church so that we could drink from the infinite fountain of grace and mercy. Friends, I hope that that is your prayer for this church. That is my prayer. And if we press on and trust the Lord, he will do that through us. Let's pray.